high church stuff right there, you know. That's good. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, Matt. All up here this morning leading us in such biblical and Christ-honoring worship. We thank the Lord. We pray it continues now as we listen to God's Word. As we turn to Acts uh, chapter 19, uh, just some housekeeping issues. Uh, first of all, I want to say, man, what a great time we had last Sunday night. Uh, we had a, I was going to say a house full, we had a barn full. And, uh, you know, when we saw the rain and stuff, we're like, oh, well, you know, man, if we could just, you know, maybe this. And uh, it was completely packed. We had a great time of fellowship and those of you who didn't stick around for the uh, after party really missed a good time as well. Uh, we had a great time, so uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, tough. You should have stuck around. We had a great time, and uh, I'm so thankful for the Hewitts making that available. And we're looking at doing something else over there this fall. So uh, stay tuned. And uh, to reiterate, I know, Andrew, I actually heard your announcements this morning but, uh, man, I'm excited to see our choir coming back, practicing, working hard. Uh, let's blow Michelle's mind tonight and have that choir room packed out. And uh, starts at 5.05, right? 4, 5 o'clock, you're late. So be here, uh, be ready. And uh, if you, you, I used to sing in the choir, I used to, well, then come. And uh, honor the Lord in that. Uh, and then let me say, Jay Bruce, good to see you, old son. Uh, he's had a, a rough bout for several weeks, but uh, I told him uh, Friday he called me, and he said, well, Lord's willing, I'll be there Sunday. And I said, you'll find your sweetest hour of rest when you come back to church and able to sleep through one of my sermons. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I'm thankful Bruce is a dear friend, a real friend, and uh, we've been praying for him. There's answered prayer. Well, he said, I don't, I don't ever see answered prayer. Well, there it is. So uh, we're thankful that he's able, and we're thankful all the rest of us. We may not have seen it, but by God's providence and God's sovereignty, you're here today. You would not be here had it not been for the Lord. We see that all through the Scripture. Had it not been for the Lord. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. How many times did you stop and tell yourself to breathe this morning? Just take it for granted. But breath comes from the Lord. From the very first breath breathed into Adam, we've been breathing as mankind ever since because it's God's power and authority of life. And He's come through His Son that we may have life and have it more abundantly. We are the church, those who are born again believers in Christ. And we have been looking for many weeks through the Acts of the Apostles. And today we'll be looking at chapter 19 and 20. Not both of them this morning. You'll have to come back tonight for chapter 20. But you don't want to miss that. It'll be a great word. And I mean, you can miss... But you're going to get 27 out of 28. What if that's the one chapter? What if that's the one sermon God wants to really challenge your heart through? What if God's got a specific word that could revolutionize your life tonight? Be back, choir practice, and then for worship at 6 o'clock. All right, I think I've taken care of all of it. And uh, we're up, running, everything's good. God's Word tells us very clearly in Matthew 28, verse 18, all power, Jesus said, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. How much? What? All of what? Power. All power, all glory, all honor is given unto Christ in heaven and in earth. So there's, there's no place He doesn't have power. Do you know that when we celebrated 50 years ago, uh, 50 years ago uh, man walking on the moon and all, you know, all of that stuff, 
we just celebrated a few weeks ago. Do you know they read the Bible on the, on, on the moon? Do you know that? Do you know what scripture they read? Psalm 8. From scripture, don't turn over, look at this. You can read that when you get home today. Go ye therefore, verse 19, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know how I know there's no aliens and there's no life on Mars or anywhere else? Because it's good Southern Baptists we'd already sent missionaries. That's just the truth. We, there'd been somebody God would have laid on their heart to get on a rocket ship and you say, well, we don't have the... I'm telling you, a missionary will not be stopped when they're sold out for the Lord. We've seen that, have we not? I mean, they did not have cruise ships. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have the internet. And the gospel began to spread and it was proliferated from Jerusalem uh, throughout all parts of the world. He said that He'd given us power given His Son and through His Son to us that we may do what? Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, this morning as we look in Acts chapter 19, I want us to look at the cost of fulfilling the Great Commission. The cost. The cost of fulfilling the Great Commission. He said in Acts chapter 19, verse 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. You see, God's Word is unstoppable. He said it would never return unto Him void. But the evangelistic advances did not come without a very high price, very costly price. Theologian Longnecker wrote, the advances, advances of the Gospel in the Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia did not come about without great difficulty and repeated discouragements. You ever tried to love on somebody in Christ? You ever tried to share the gospel and just be rebuffed to the point that it was just discouraging? I'm going to be real honest with you. I've stood and preached when I thought there'd be, you know, people just, they'd want to go through anything to get to the church and instead church be empty and they found any reason not to come. When we expect a lot of people to show up for choir and, you know, seven show up. When we have the greatest thing to sing about, it can become very discouraging when we try to share our love for Christ. At times, in fact, Longnaker said, matters look very bleak. Viewed externally, one might even be tempted to agree with Knox that Paul's journey into Macedonia had been the height of unwisdom and its, its results negligible. Now think about that. Who told Paul to go? But in our eyes, from an external view, we would look and say, man, I just, I don't get it. Uh, that's, that's a mess. Why would they do that? Why would they sell everything and go to a land they've never been to. Why? Does it make good sense? Well, that's what it looked like with Paul. Yes, the price had been high, but unlike the scoffers, we know that the results speak for themselves. In Philippi, Thessalonica, and at Berea, the flame of Christianity was burning brightly. And soon Ephesus would be added to this list. Now I want us to look in the text and see if we can examine and add up the cost of the commission for both the evangelist and the Ephesians. Look with me again in Acts chapter 19. 
Well, I won't use that font and that color anymore. Thank you. You're on the front row too, so. All right, Acts chapter 19, verse 23. And he said, And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. So the word of God is growing, but now there begins to be a stir. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana and brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Hey guys, sirs, you know that by this craft we make our money. We feed our families. We go on vacation. This is how we buy our, our, our second home. This is how we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but also throughout all Asia, this stinking Paul guy hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. The cost, y'all are amazing. You go, Stephen. That dude is amazing. The cost of fulfilling the commission. First of all, the financial cost of our commission. The financial cost of our commission. Already we're getting a little uptight. I talked with a little young fellow this morning before church and he whipped out his dollar and showed me what he had earned and what he wanted to give to the Lord today. And for him, that's everything. And for us that has much and yet we become so tied to it, we're afraid to turn it loose. I want you to think about a few people and the cost, the financial cost of commission. I think of a great one of my heroes of the faith, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player in the late 1800s. Billy Sunday was the proverbial professional athlete. He lived it up. You know, we idolize, we think of great, great athletes of, of years gone by, and we think of people like Babe Ruth, you know. We think of one of my, my lifetime heroes, Mickey Mantle. I was able to go, if you're a baseball fan at all, and you don't know Mickey Mantle, you're not a baseball fan. I went to the Louisville Slugger plant where they make the bats. And some of you will be all goo and gah when I tell you when we walked through and got the tour and we're walking through, they're making the bats and they're showing us their pictures. Uh, they raise their own trees. They don't buy it somewhere. They have their own forest where they cut the ash and all that. And so they're making these bats and they showed us these pallets coming in of the, of the blanks and then how they, they spin them on the lathe and they paint them and all this. And we look and they're preparing this one group for this one order. And I looked at the invoice and the name on it was Brian McCann. They were making his bat. That didn't mean diddly squat to me as what I was able to do a few moments later, when we were able to go in and they had three different bats of professional baseball players over the years. They were their bats. Not just one. These were bats they actually used. Now, when you first walk in the door, Darling is in a glass case. And if you are a baseball fan, you know Darling is the 40-ounce wood saw log that Babe Ruth hit 61 home runs and he carved initial, uh, a, a notch all the way around the logo on the bat, probably with a pocket knife he kept in his pocket to cut somebody. But I got to hold Mickey Mantle's bat. I've got a picture holding one of my heroes' bats. Mickey Mantle was dead and gone. Do you know why he was dead and gone? He drank himself to death. you know why uh, Babe Ruth, even though he had did all this and hit more home runs, he's still the, probably one of the greatest. He pitched. He was a pitcher. 
Probably weighed 320 pounds. I don't know. He hit a dead baseball with a 40-ounce bat, 714 home runs. But when you think back on people like that, they, they wasted their life. And you read the stories of Billy Martin and Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle. Man, it was wild. The days of, of Babe Ruth and all this wild, just debauchery of that. Well, Billy Sunday blazed the path for that. And one day he's in Chicago and he's played ball and he gets done and he gets drunk and he's just out of his mind. And he says, you know, life is not worth living if this is all there is. And he sat down on the curb contemplating ending his life. And in that moment, someone from the Baptist mission there in Chicago walked up and offered him a cup of coffee if he would just come back to the mission. He went back, had a few cups of coffee, slept it off, and they presented the gospel. And Billy Sunday gave his life to Christ. The Lord saved him, and he became a great evangelist. One that when he would go to town, like Saul becoming Paul, and how Saul killed Christians, but Paul was the greatest evangelist of them all, Billy Sunday went from being one of the biggest abusers of alcohol to where when he would come into town, the bars would close for fear of him. He would, they say, would jump up, come into a bar, jump up on the bar, and he would go to preaching, and the first thing out of his mouth was, he said, I want to tell all of you, listen, I understand, liquor's got its place, and its place is in hell. And son, he would let them have it. He would set up what we now know as the sawdust trail. They would set up tents and they would try to shut him down. And so the fire marshal said, you can't do this. And they began to bring in sawdust and prove that with wet sawdust, there's no way for it to catch fire. And we now know that as the old sawdust trail. My point is, Billy Sunday gave it up. The financials, the wealth, the fame for the commission. You see, he said in verse 23 through 25, they were threatened by the gospel. They were threatened by this evangelistic fervor that's coming out of Paul and the others who were preaching the gospel, teaching the Word of God. Remember, it said back in verse 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. The world does not like that. You know how I know? It's because a man who turned around an absolute wreck of a football team who couldn't win a game, period, came in, won the games, and won the first playoff game they had won since winning the Super Bowl. And yet today, nobody will sign him because they don't want to deal with his faith. But yet the first Friday night, 2020, right here where you sit, we'll hold the second annual Tim Tebow Night to Shine that reaches and ministers to more people with special needs around the globe than any other ministry in the world. Cost him something financially. The Colts had half a brain. When Drew Luck Retired the other day, they'd have had Tim Tebow flown up there, wheels up and all. and said, brother, you can sell more jerseys overnight. Have, has the world not learned anything from Chick-fil-A yet? <laughs> keep beating on them. And they'll keep selling chicken sandwiches. And it'll still be their pleasure. And listen, but it costs, number one, Sometimes it costs an ungodly gain. This is, means money God never intended us to have. You ever seen somebody that had something that they didn't have no business having? You ever seen a kid whip out a pocket knife that wasn't old enough to really... You're like, what are you doing with that? I don't know. Where did you get it? Out of my daddy's drawer. I'm talking about a four-year-old. By six, you ought to be carrying a pocket knife. You ought to know how. I did. Still do. Wasn't always smart with it. 
But some things, you know, it's like, you ever seen your kid run through the house with a pair of scissors? Yeah. You've done it. You ain't seen it. You did it. With a pencil both ways. Look, Mama, I got pencils. Fast as you can go. Man, I love me some McLean. Ungodly game. Having stuff we, we don't have any business having. Now, it does not mean that believers can't have wealth. That's not what I mean. There's some very wealthy, godly people. But very few. The Bible tells us that. Because it's so easy to get our eyes off of God and onto things. Ungodly gain. Who, who's somebody in the Bible that had ungodly gain? What about Levi or Matthew? Matthew had amassed this wealth. But Jesus said, it's all behind you. It's time to be an apostle. Matthew trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, his Messiah. And Matthew gave it up to become that apostle. And, and how do you know he gave it all up? Well, I know one place Jesus told them they couldn't go unless they only had one jacket, no heavy coat, and that they were not to carry a pouch slam full of money. I know one time they paid their taxes with money that come out of a fish's mouth. See, there's always a reason to fish, isn't there, Steve? You know that commercial where the little girl catches the goldfish and Daddy says we're wealthy? That's not the first time that's happened. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. But, and it's true. Ungodly gain, but unrecognized providence. Sometimes we don't see what God is trying to do because we've taken care of it ourselves. I don't know how many times I've said and I've heard others say, you know what, I saw God move more in my life when I was broke and didn't have anything. Young people, to put it in perspective for you, as the song goes, young, dumb, and broke. But now, when you get older, you look back and you say, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I know the whole good old days is not always as good as we make them out, but sometimes the simplicity of not having the weight of all the bills with the extra this and the extra that and all the other things. Listen, how some of the houses have two brand new vehicles and both of them cost more than my first house in their yard. Oh, Lord, I sound like my daddy. But it's true. We've mortgaged our children and our future for things. And God says, get rid of it and I'll show you what I can do. Where does God work the greatest? Where we have the greatest need. Can I tell you a really cool story? Shared it with Joey this morning. And, you know, Joey is our coordinator, leader, extraordinaire for our night to shine. And I, I called him in, in the hallway this morning. I said, you're just going to have to stop. i got to give you this. This is cool stuff. So we get a, we get a call this week at the church. It says, hey, we're so-and-so church, and um, we just wanted to call and let you know we're, we're kind of sorry. Uh, we, we took up an offering for the night to shine. And we never sent it. And, and we're really sorry, but would it be all right? Oh, yeah. We'll, Joe's, yeah. Yeah. Hey, we'll come pick it up, you know. $2,700. It's 10% of our estimated budget for this year. Now, we got everything's carried, everything got took care of this past year. We didn't need it. God has already given us 10% of what we need for the future. How would we know that? if we already just had a bank slam full of money. How did the children of Israel know God would take care of them? Because they only gathered for that day. Right? And if they gathered too much, what would happen? It would rot with worms. Some of us, our bank accounts, 
our houses, our lands, our, our, our toys are the worms that are eating away at the spiritual well-being of our lives. It's unrecognized providence. We don't see God working because we've took care of it ourselves. There was a rich, young ruler who walked away very sorrowful for this because he had done great things. He thought he'd kept all the law, yet he was not willing to give up that dollar to follow the Lord. It's unreceived blessings. Philippians chapter 3 says it in two back-to-back verses, 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee and a scribe and a Sanhedrin and a scholar, he was, he was a theologian, he was a man about town, no doubt was very wealthy and run in very wealthy circles. But he said, but what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Three times in two verses, he said, I count it loss for Jesus. Unreceived blessings. We're not willing to surrender. Our Sunday school class uh, concluded our study through Andrew Murray's book this morning called Absolute Surrender. We are just branches, church. We're not the vine. We are not the root. We cannot provide nutrition for ourselves. It is just fake and it's a fraud until we abide in that vine. We will just simply die and break off as the leaves will this fall. But when we remain and dwell and abide in the vine, we are filled with color and life and vibrancy in sharing the love of Christ in our life. Listen, I think of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson had, Charles Colson had risen in the ranks of politics to be in Richard Nixon's White House. He was a modern day Saul, if you will, of the political arena. He was called Nixon's hatchet man. He was the guy that got it done. Got the dirty work done. But when Watergate broke, Forrest Gump snitched him out for having the lights on in the, in the hotel. Y'all don't remember seeing that? Hey, some lights on in that building. But when they were discovered breaking in and all of that, one of the fall guys... Rightfully so was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson went to prison. Went to federal prison. One day in the federal penitentiary just outside the Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. A chaplain shared Christ with Chuck Colson. He confessed his sins and repented and asked the Lord to save him and change him. Boy, did he. And the unreceived blessings were received and God began to pour into his life. It cost him all of his politics. It cost him most of his friends. But when he died, he died with the greatest, most powerful, life-changing prison ministry that's ever been on the face of this earth. Prison fellowship. Sharing the gospel with prisoners in some prisons, listen, that you would not want your worst enemy in. Chuck Tolson would go in there and he said, I can't do it alone. And he, he enlisted others and the Lord led others. Listen, what unreceived blessings are you experiencing because you're holding on to the finances rather than the commission? Say of all the religious cost of our commission. He said in verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but also throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Well, duh. 
so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set. Notice they keep talking about their craft, talking about their money, their wealth. He said, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. They said that the temple of Diana was literally the eighth wonder of the world. There are some historians of the day that said, I have seen the hanging gardens of Babylon and they cannot compare to the absolute splendor of the temple of Diana. Tourists around the globe rushes to shrines around the world to see these magnificent buildings and architectural wonders that man have come up with and not facing the truth that they are temples to gods that are not gods. We must understand that the religious cost of our commission begins with getting rid of useless traditions. Can you imagine... Five hundred years ago, five hundred and two years ago, five hundred and two years ago, you know what happened five hundred and two years ago? I'll give you a clue. A mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther, you the man. I'll pay you afterwards. 502 years ago, Martin Luther. Hey, where's that hammer? I don't know. It was over in the junk drawer. I can't find it. Well, I need it. He found the hammer. He found the nail. But the work had already been done. For as he had immersed and the Word of God had so, what did he say in verse 20, mightily grew in his life and prevailed, that he began to write down and he'd put a bullet point and he'd write another one. He'd put another one, a bullet point and he would write. And he got to 10 and he got to 20 and he got to 50 and he got to 80 and he got to 95 theses and he wrote them out as he began to study the depth of the, the book of Romans. And he came to the realization that grace comes through faith and not of ourselves and not of works. And He nailed them to the door there in Wittenberg. And He walked out. Do you know that He did not want to start a new denomination or start a reformation uh, uh, in, in the terms of what we think, but He simply wanted to get rid of the useless traditions of selling relics and indulgences and get back to the Word of God. We as Baptists so often, especially in the South, we get entrenched in useless traditions. And I thank God now, listen, I thank God at Eastside, if we find a sacred cow, we'll cook out. We'll just, we'll have a barbecue or, you know, have a steak supper for the most part. But then there's some things maybe that we need to evaluate in our life, in the life of our church. Is this what God wants us to do or is it a... Now, there are good traditions, but then there's useless traditions. What's an idea of a good tradition? Well, I think about our church-wide Thanksgiving supper where we come together. But can I say this year, don't be in a hurry. If you're in a hurry, don't come. We act like when we get here, well, let's serve the food, hurry up, say the blessing. You missed the point. It's a Thanksgiving supper. We need to come with thankful hearts. And if you're worried about, well, the kids won't be still, well, then let them go, man. It's not... But stand up and thank God that they're able to, Okay? We want to have a time of praise where people stand up and thank God. But you know, that's a, that's a good tradition that we have. Our deacons' wives, 
big supper. Deacons pay for it. Why? Just like pretty much everything else in our lives. Uh, but no, our deacons provide and serve our church Christmas dinner. Right? Right? Right. What about see you at the pole? It's 26, 27th year. A handful of kids in Texas one day, they, they didn't have a website to look up. The FCA didn't do it for them. They just got together and said, hey, let's pray for our school. Okay, when are you going to do it? Let's, let's do it before school. Okay, where are you going to do it? Well, just meet me at the flagpole. It wasn't, hey, it's a glorious thing. We're going to be patriotic. No, that was just, it was a landmark. A big flagpole, you can't miss it. And they gathered that morning and they prayed. And here 20-something years later, hundreds of thousands of students around the globe will gather around a flagpole on their campus and pray. Pray over their school, pray over their family, pray over administrators. Would you say that's a useless tradition or a good one? Pretty good one. So we're not talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but they were worshiping a false god. And it was threatening to them to hear the true gospel. We've got to get rid of useless traditions. And this pious legalism. If you don't look like me, sound like me, act like me, do like me, then it can't be of God. I'm sorry, you're not God. Right? Come on now, church. We look like a donkey eating briars. Do you like that, McLean? Trying to come up with something good. I've let him down. I hadn't had a joke for him in a couple weeks. The truth is, when we start trying to impose our own set of rules that are not specifically biblical, then we become piously legalistic. You, now, if you're a kid, don't shake your fist at mom and dad and say, did you hear what the preacher said? You don't... Now that don't work that way. You do what they say do. You honor and obey your parents. But just because we don't do it a certain way as them or they don't do it a certain way as us and we don't meet it. You know, growing up, if I'd have heard a church was starting at 1030, what kind of nonsense is that? 1030? Well, what's the deal? Worship starts at 11. God's people meets at 11. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? The things that we put value in. I've told you all this, and I'll tell you again. First time I ever saw a woman wear a pair of pants to church, I thought, well, she's going to hell. Because of what I had seen growing up, had my pre-understanding came to that issue. Don't be surprised when somebody comes up with something off the wall. They was, and, and it's not necessarily it was my mom and dad, but just the environment the, uh, of the church. Now they loved God, and they were doing the best, but listen, I can remember saying, the, the older man said, we ain't putting up no basketball goal to church. You play at home, we come to church, and blah, 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 and all this other kind of stuff. While my RA director, we'd go down for training union, he'd sneak us out the back door. We'd play football behind the church when the old men didn't know it. And the same old men that told us we shouldn't do it was smoking their pipes, cigars, cigarettes, and chin back out on the front porch. I mean, you remember when you'd walk out from church out of a legalistic, women don't wear pants and men don't do this, and they're all, everybody out there, and you just walk, it's like walking through a bar. It's amazing what we put value in. I want to tell you what we ought to put value in. Christ and Him crucified. We have got to give up to the religious cost paid in full by Jesus of carrying the weight of the law. Give up that pious legalism. But now the pendulum swings the other way. Where you think anything goes, I can do whatever I want, however I want, and Jesus loves me, and nobody can say anything at any time, that's compromising liberalism. 
Where if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? I think an old gospel singer Aaron Tippin sang it or something. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Compromising liberalism. You know what compromising liberalism leads you into? Denouncing religion altogether. Where we start okay in this and okay in that because our kids do this and our kids do that and our, and our brother does that and our sister does that. Stand for what's right even if it costs you that. And we'll get to that the personal cost in a minute. But we can, we can no longer tolerate this compromising liberalism. And, and listen, I'm all about taking care of the fatherless and the widows. That's what real religion, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, going on the mission field, giving crayons, giving a sandwich, providing clothes, providing through the cooperative program for over 10,000 missionaries around the world in Georgia, packing backpacks, sending it to kids all through the Appalachians. I am all about that. But my friends, ministry in the way of just doing it just for the sake of doing it without telling them Jesus gives you this through us in the name of Jesus Christ, giving them a cup of water and presenting them the truth that without Christ there is no hope. That backpack will get old. This sandwich will be gone by tomorrow. You know, if we'd have had the social justice warriors 2,000 years ago, the prodigal son would have went to the soup kitchen. Somebody would have dressed him up, put some clothes on him, and he never went home. Sometimes we get in the way of God's chastisement. Did y'all hear me, mamas and daddies? Sometimes we get in the way of God's chastisement. If you've ever taught your kid to ride a bike, and they can actually ride a bike, somewhere along the way you had to let them go. Elena gave me a book on life lessons about that. The whole book is about this dad teaching his son. He was a pastor and he was applying these lessons to our life and the faith of, uh, of letting them go and how God has to let us go and sometimes there's a time to break and there's a time to steer and there's a time to pedal and there's a time of danger of figuring out our balance. And between legalism and liberalism, there is the perfect will of God between love and justice, there is Jesus. Y'all with me? Get off this compromising liberalism. And please, don't adjust your thinking because you're too lazy to study to stand for what's right. To go alone to get along is nonsense. That's liberalism. Stand for truth. Truth will stand when nobody else will. And then the comfortable spot of complacency. Church, if there's any place we are, it's right here. Is this enough? We've been having some great Sundays with many guests. and Man, God has been encouraging. Like we said last Sunday night, it was very encouraging as we got together as a family and enjoyed a picnic and I really believe we're going to be blown away by the attendance and choir and things like that. And we've got our Superhero Sunday coming up and so many other great opportunities and avenues of ministry. But I'm going to tell you something. When we get so complacent that it's just about our 24 and no more, when it's about our Sunday school class and nobody else's, we're not worried about what the senior adults do. We're not worried about what the kids do. We're not worried about them. I, I'm just tired of keeping the nursery. Let somebody else keep it. I let, isn't there somebody else that can work in vacation Bible school or work with the youth? I'm just too tired. Why can't someone else teach? Why can't you? Well, I got too much going on. Well, duh. I got things going on too. Yeah, but you get paid to do it. So do you. Right? There's roughly 45,000 Southern Baptist churches. 
And if every single one of them, 45,000 pastors led somebody to the Lord, we'd have 90,000 people come to the Lord. There's 15 million Southern Baptists. Now do the math. Did God say, I've called pastors to be soul winners and everybody else to be attenders? So I just can't do it. You're too complacent. You're comfortable. You're comfortable if you don't have to say anything about Jesus, do anything, you can just have your little private Jesus fest. That's not how Jesus works. That's not how this thing works. The Great Commission is not the great consideration. It's not up for you to decide. If you are born again, listen, if it's good enough for Jesus to die for you, can't you live for Him? Comfortable. When does it stop being all about us and our... We're all... Man, good grief. We're living in the 21st century and all we ever do is get up in our feelings. Well, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. And I can't believe somebody didn't help me with this. And I don't... And that church don't do this. I'm going to tell you something. All you guests, I love you. I'm so thankful. And I pray God is leading you here. Today, when we give an invitation, come take me by the hand and say, this is where we belong. We want to get in full force. But I want to go ahead and warn you, we'll let you down. But listen, that's okay. We're going to let you join anyway because we know you're going to let us down. Because once you join, then we're all together and it's not you and us, it's we. Right? And I always poke fun, but I'm going to give her a free shot. In two weeks, Becky and I will be married 30 years. And I've let her down. I've let her down a lot in 30 years. But she's let me down along the way. Y'all know how I feel about my parents, but you know what? They've let me down. And Lord knows I've let them down. But you know what? I'm still going to call them tonight. And they're still going to love me. They're still going to call and ask me, hey, how you go? How you coming along on your car? What's the weather like down there? My daddy's favorite subject. You know it's right, daddy. How much y'all pay for gas? You know, for city people, that's like how much rain y'all get. And you know, we never learned any math in school, but we know what a tenth of water is. Uh, we got two and three tenths. <laughs> well, we paid two twenty-three over at Sam's Club across the street. It was two forty-nine. I don't know if it's going up or coming down. Isn't it good to laugh? Especially at somebody else's expense. But then you realize, oh wow, I do that. Comfortable complacency is when we get tired. We get tired of sitting there in our living room and we want to get outside. We get tired of the AC and we want to roll the windows down. When we get tired of just doing the same old thing over and over because we're too lazy to get out of the rut. I'm going to tell you, let's turn our world upside down, church. And finally, the personal cost of our commission. And for the sake of time, I won't read it all. But he said in verse 28, when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. The personal cost of commission. This morning, the left, the crazy, ungodly, freedom from religion bunch is raking over the coals. A man by the name of Drew Brees who simply got on and recorded a two-minute or less video that encouraged students to carry their Bibles to school. That's all they did. That's all he did. And they've come out and called him every name in the book. 
He's a bigot and he's a racist and he's a this and he's a that and all these other things. And he is being lambasted for encouraging kids. To, he didn't say anything about homosexuals. He didn't say anything about drug addicts or the Hollywood crowd, which all three of them basically describe themselves as a whole. But they've come against him with everything they can throw at him. You see, when we serve the Lord, it can cost you your reputation. If they can't find dirt on you, they'll make it up. Y'all don't believe me? What did Pilate say? I find no fault in this man. But they kept saying, oh no, he's a blasphemer and he's a this. Paul, when they did it to Paul, Paul said, hey, I'm a Roman. You're going to do this? And they listened. And he said, I don't, there's nothing y'all have brought me that can be proven. You don't have any witnesses. You don't have any facts. You don't have any background. But that don't bother the world. They're not going to let the truth get in the way of their want. They still crucified Jesus. They still killed Paul. It can cost you your reputation. It could cost you your friends and family. Paul said, Demas has left me having loved this present world. When you look back over life, you'll see former friends strewn along the way. Some God didn't intend for you to be. It was just for a certain season. I can remember I can remember the end of eighth grade and we went to the new middle school back when mom went, McEachern was a first through twelfth grade school. And uh, then they split off the elementary, but it was still from sixth grade up until I started sixth grade, they built a new middle school. And so I went to Tap Middle School, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And I remember getting to the end of 8th grade year. We know we're going to get through and actually going to pass and we're fixing to go to the big house. They drive their own cars over there. That's where the big people go. I went to those football games. Dude, we're we going to make it. We're going to get there. And I remember me and my friend start scheming of what we were going to do and how we were going to do it and all these great things. And you know what happened? You get to high school and they hand you this little card. It's basically like a big house because they give you a card. And it has seven different things. It says you go to here at this time. First, first period, you go to John McEachern. Second period, you go to Macklin Hall. And third period, you go to the admin building. Fourth period, you got lunch. And fifth period, you go back to John McEachern building. And then sixth you go to Russell Hall, and seventh, you go back to Macklin Hall, and then you get on the bus, you go home, or get in the car and go home. And you don't see your buddies, because it's the third largest high school in Georgia, and you're just a number. And you're just trying to get across this college campus of a high school. All those I just described to you are different buildings, and there is... Three times that amount of buildings on there now. Fine arts, field house, all the different fields and, and science building and history building and arts, fine arts buildings and all this. And you're running to class because you've got five minutes to get there. And all of a sudden all your grand plans from three months ago don't mean anything because you don't even see your friend. And you get a whole new set of friends. And then you get like us, and the only time you see your friends is when you go to the funeral home. And I'm not being funny. Y'all know I'm right. What do we? Hey, did you see it? So and so died. And we talk about those. But along the way, a lot of people. You remember when you said, "Hey, what have you been doing?" Oh, just same old stuff. What have you been doing? Oh man. God's been moving in our life. And man, I'm teaching Sunday school over here. And my wife is working with the children. And, and, and God is just blessing. And they're like, oh, okay. okay. Hey, man, it's good to see you. We need to catch up sometime. I'm like, Boom! When you start talking Christianity, you can clear a crowd. 
You don't know who's comfortable with it and who's not. It'll cost you your friends and family. But ultimately, it will cost you your will. If you're going to follow the Great Commission, then you've got to be willing to say, Yes, Lord. Let me tell you this as they come to the instruments. There was a man by the name of William Borden. Not of the Milk family, even though that was something he would use as an excuse because they were very wealthy. They had made their family fortune in silver mining. One day his mother was saved and she took him to a church in Chicago that would later be known as Moody Church. And you know who the pastor was? None other than R.A. Torrey. And under that preaching, he was saved. He went off to Yale because that's what rich kids did. They went to Harvard. They went to Yale. and They were, at that time, still had some Christian influence. But along the way, as his parents were so excited about his future and running the company, he surrendered to the call of missions. So he gets on a ship after going through much training. He's still learning languages and stuff. And he gets on the ship. And, and you know, it wasn't a four-day trip. It was like a six-week trip. And on the way, he became ill. And before he ever made it to China, he died somewhere around Egypt. And as they gathered his belongings to send to his family... They opened and looked and said, oh, what a sad story. He had trained. He had given it all up. And he never got to meet one person on the field he felt called to. He never got to preach one message. He never got to have one children's service. He never got to have any of that. And they opened his book, his diary. And there were six words wrote. Just six words. And it recorded these words, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. Can we live our lives like that? I will not reserve anything. I will give it all. Yes, Lord. There will be no retreat. I will move forward in the army of God. I will not. I refuse to die with regret. You look back over the church here from Pentecost to Ephesus, you'll agree the evangelism had cost a great deal. It had cost the Jews their exclusive hold on God as the Gentile world were being saved by countless thousands. It had required the church to become flexible in its methods and its structure. Listen, it had cost the lives of Stephen and James and so many others. It cost the reputation of Paul. It cost the evangelist prison stays, beatings, stonings, and discrimination. Yes, the price of the commission is high. How much are we willing to pay? Maybe the question should be asked, how much is a soul worth? Church today... cost a lot to serve the Lord. It may cost you your finances. It may cost you friends and family. It may cost you reputation. But it'll never cost you what Jesus paid at Calvary. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Not because He saved me, I've got to pay Him back. But out of a labor of love, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain he has washed it white as snow. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're trying to do works, you're trying to amass by giving, you're trying to do by serving, lay it down. Repent and give it to Jesus. Ask the Lord to save you. Forgive you of your sins. If you're saved, you need to be baptized, showing outwardly what's happened inwardly. Today's the day to come and profess it. You can be baptized in the future. Come and tell the church, hey, I want to be obedient to the Lord's command to be baptized. 
You need to join this church. This is where you belong. Without equivocation, there'll be no regret. There'll be no retreat. When you walk out, say, oh, we said it. No. Be obedient to God. Come to the altar. Pray, serve, whatever. Dedication to Him. Stand and come. Come to Jesus today. Right now, come to Jesus. God's